As the kids say, true that. All right. <laughs> amen and amen. I needed to hear that, and I trust you did as well. As we are reminded, we have a friend in Christ. He didn't just die for us. He didn't just keep us out of hell. He didn't just give us access into heaven, but he is here for us day by day until we get there, right? So it's not, it's not just uh, justification and glorification, but there's this whole life in between where our Lord walks with us and makes us more like himself, and that's in part why we're here every Sunday, right? I'm here every Sunday to try to become more like Christ, because uh, I know I'm still a long, long ways away from that uh, glorious perfection. This table is also for our good, it's for our blessing and our benefit to move us in that direction as well. As we consider the table this morning, we're considering something that is holy and reverent before God, something that is for our good. It leads to self-examination and confession of sin. It leads to communion with Christ in a special way and remembering what he did for us. And so that's what this is all about uh, for you and I this morning. Will you turn uh, back to your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 11? And we're going to spend some time with this passage this morning as we prepare ourselves for the Lord's table together. I want to just spend a few minutes talking about these great truths in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, as Paul writes to the Corinthian church really to correct a lot of error and mistakes. No surprise there. If you know the book of Corinthians, uh, this church was full of immaturity and fleshliness and carnality. And, and so the, really the context of this passage comes in one of stern correction, a stern rebuke even. He says back in uh, the previous paragraph that he will not praise them for how they're carrying about uh, the Lord's Supper in their church. I want to give you some lessons this morning then from this passage, lessons on the Lord's table or from the Lord's table for us to think through as we prepare our minds and prepare our hearts for partaking of these elements. I've read the passage already, so we'll jump in in verse 23 for our first lesson. Paul says, for I received, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. I received it from the Lord and I delivered it to you. The first lesson is this Lord's table is instituted by Christ himself. It's instituted by Christ himself. Paul is only a faithful mailman here. He is a faithful delivery man of the truth of the Lord's table. This letter was written before the Gospels were written. So Paul may have received this in direct revelation from Christ at some point in his uh, training as an apostle. Because these words were penned before Matthew, Mark, and Luke were penned. And their accounts obviously and uh, expectedly line up with what Paul says here because he received it from the Lord. He, he is, he is be giving us then a faithful transmission of what Jesus wants to say to us about the Lord's table. We did not get this from the U.S. government, okay? This didn't come to us from the PTA or from the Lions Club, or from the Pope, or it didn't come from a denomination. This doesn't come from church tradition. This comes from the Lord. Jesus instituted the Lord's table. This is highly important to us. We have lots of things in our life that we remember, that we have set up in our lives to intentionally and deliberately cause us to reflect back on something that happened and to relive something that happened. We have Memorial Day in our culture where we remember those who have died for the freedoms that we're now enjoying right at this moment. 
And we have Independence Day where we remember the birth of our country. And, and we have anniversaries for our weddings. And we have birthdays. And those things are important. And they're a gift from God. And they're, they're designed for us to remember and to relive and to reflect. But none of those institutions are directly instituted by the Lord himself. So Jesus now is the head of the church, right? He is the risen Christ. We're talking about the God-man. Fully God and fully man can relate to us and understand us and yet is infinitely exalted above us. That is the source of this. That is the source of this ritual, this religious rite, R-I-T-E, that we're going to participate in. And that's very important for us to take to heart. This comes to us from the Lord of the church, from the head of the church. It is not man's creation. It is God's, and he's given it to us for our good, for our blessing. The Lord Jesus only gave the church two ordinances. That's what we call it. Some circles, they may be called sacraments. There aren't seven. Roman Catholic Church says there are seven of these. Their, their history is one of addition. They are the church of addition. They're constantly adding two. And so what originally was two has become seven. But that's not what we believe. We believe that the Lord Jesus has given us these two ordinances. The ordinance of baptism that you participate in it, hopefully, at the beginning of your Christian life. That ordinance of believer's baptism where you say to the body of Christ, to witnesses, I am following Christ for the rest of my life. And it was designed to be the entry point ordinance, the one-time ordinance for believers. And then this one comes along as the repeated ordinance to, if you will, maintain, to continue to be a means of grace to the body of Christ. They're perfectly dovetailed together. They're perfectly designed. So I want you to just see the first lesson as we begin is that this comes from the Lord, the one who loves you, the one who died for you, the one who is risen, the one who mediates for you now before God. It comes from our great high priest. It comes from the one who had you in mind when he went to the cross. And Paul, just faithful Paul, he didn't create anything. Okay? Creativity is not always a good thing. Faithfulness is, though. And Paul is faithful to deliver to you and me today, now 2,000 years later, what the Lord gave him. Second lesson for us to be mindful of this morning is the Lord's table is rooted in history, not mystery. It is rooted in history, not mystery. Look at verse 23, the next part. That the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed... We'll stop there. There is a lot of confusion and disagreement among Christians about the Lord's table, obviously. You have the Roman Catholic view of transubstantiation, where they believe the, the bread and the wine actually, literally become the body and blood of Christ and are sacrificed again and again and again in the Mass. In every Mass, the, the Lord Jesus is sacrificed anew in Roman Catholicism because of their doctrine of transubstantiation. And it is a very mysterious doctrine, how it could even possibly be, be, be held. And, and, and you move a step away from that in the Lutheran denomination, and they have a doctrine called consubstantiation, where they say 
It didn't, he didn't, the bread and the juice doesn't become the body and blood of Christ, but he's underneath it and he's with it. And it's, I've read lots on it and I've tried to understand it and it's just completely illogical and, and non-understandable. Both of those systems, the Lord's table is just fraught with mystery and, and unclear meaning. I want to remind you this morning that it's not rooted in mystery, it's rooted in history. The Lord's table is rooted, first of all, in Israel's history. This takes us back to the Passover, to the Exodus event. And it wasn't mysterious, okay? God said, every family, take a lamb, slay the lamb, put the blood over the doorpost. And when the angel of death passes over, if you have the blood, he will pass over you. If you don't have the blood, there will be death of your firstborn in that family. And so that lamb had to be killed, and that blood had to be slain to cover to atone for, to rescue, to redeem. And so as Jesus originally took the Lord's, uh, the Passover meal with his disciples on the night before he died, he transformed it into the Lord's Supper. He, he took one thing rooted in history and, and made it become something new for us. This is very important to us to keep in mind that what we do today links us with the people of God all the way back to the Exodus event. Again, it came from the Lord and it's rooted in history. But it's also not just rooted in Israel's history, which is important. If we're Christians, you know, two-thirds of our Bible is Old Testament, written in Hebrew, written to the nation of Israel. That's our foundation. We are the fulfillment of something, not something brand new. So that's important that we always keep that in mind. But it's also rooted in Jesus' own history. On the night in which he was betrayed. Just those simple words take us back to the night of his betrayal of Judas Iscariot, where the very Son of God, by one of his own 12 disciples, is handed over to the religious leaders of the day. This, this thing that we do today links us, it links us to the personal history of Jesus Christ because he instituted it on the night he was betrayed. Now betrayal was in God's economy and, and even in the workings of human beings was essential for Jesus to be arrested without there being a riot among the people. And so it had to be done in a clandestine way. It had to be done secretly. It had to be done at night, late in the night, in darkness. And therefore it had to, have some, had to be somebody with inside information that knew the habits and patterns of this small group of men and where they would be and when they would be there so that they could show up in the dark of night Betray our Lord with a kiss. Him be arrested like a common thief and thug and criminal. And bound and taken away. And the disciples all scatter, afraid for their lives. All of that rooted in his willingness to die for us. His willingness to suffer and sacrifice for us. This, this event, this ritual today ties us back to the history of Jesus. Specifically his betrayal and subsequent death. Third thing this does, third lesson that we need to take account of from this passage, and it's really all through the passage, 
But number three, to participate in the Lord's table, it requires a symbolic eating and drinking. If you're a believer here today, the Lord expects you to participate. The Lord wants you to participate and even commands that you participate. It's, it's not enough to just physically be in the room and physically be occupying the pew and watch others participate. For us to fulfill the ordinance that Jesus has given us, we must symbolically and literally eat the bread and drink the cup. This is really the, the emphasis of this passage. As you work your way through the passage, at least 14 times we read the word eat or drink, bread or cup. That's the focus. The Lord knows that we need all of our senses involved to remember properly. See, we're trying to go back in time and remember something as if we were there. And so the Lord gives us this simple ordinance, not magic, not abracadabra. These, these elements don't become anything other than what they are. But we will put them on our tongue and we will taste the bread and we will crush it with our teeth and we will digest it and we will taste the sweetness of the of the juice the blood of the grape the grape that gave up its life if you will crushed a a grape crushed so that we could have the the juice of it this morning all symbolic of a of a body given for that very purpose You, you know if you raise grapes and you're going to have a winery the very purpose of that of that vine and the very purpose of that water and all of that work is to crush those grapes, right? That's why the grape is given a body. And so it is with our Lord. That's why the Lord gave him a body so that he could sacrifice it for us. This is symbolic and representative. And that's all it ever can be or will be. These are precious, wonderful, instructive symbols of things that are most meaningful to you and me. And the Lord allows us to smell them and taste them and touch them and feel them and see them and get all of our senses involved so that, listen, so that you and I do not forget because we're prone to forget. We're apt to forget. We're apt to live our lives as if this event of the cross never happened. Right? We do that, don't we? We we will sin and we don't quickly confess it. If we sin and we don't quickly confess, we're living as if the cross never happened. We will go about our days as if there's not a God in heaven that loves us and we'll get stressed and we'll lose our peace and we'll lose our joy and we'll think it's all up to us and we are forgetting that there is a God in heaven that sent his son to die for our sins. See, we we are very capable. You and I are very capable of living as if the cross never happened. And this is here for us to remember. But all of this remembering requires a symbolic eating and drinking. Let me say something I maybe haven't said before in all these years of doing communion with with you. There is a a weight on us to examine ourselves as believers to do this properly. And we don't ever want to minimize that or set that aside. But you know, you can actually go too far with that. You can go too far and say, well, I'm so worried about doing this right and doing this perfectly that I don't partake. I need to say to you this morning that if you're a believer and you're not partaking in the Lord's table, that is disobedience. That is sin. If you're a believer and you haven't been baptized in the waters of baptism as a believer, that is disobedience. That is a sin. And and so we don't want to 
yes, we want to examine ourselves, but we don't want to add sin upon sin. Let's confess it. Let's receive. Let's receive what God has for us and realize that we can come forgiven and invited to this table. Can I just encourage you this morning, don't let the devil rob you of this blessing. You and I, we need this if we are believers. And so do what is necessary so that you can participate and not be in disobedience. Fourth lesson. Fourth lesson is the Lord's table looks back to the cross. It looks back to the cross. I mean, just consider, first of all, the words here that show us it looks back to the cross. In the night he was betrayed, it says he took the bread and he what? Broke it. He broke it. He goes on and he says, which is for you? For you. What precious words. What wonderful words of life this is. This is my body, which is for you, he says. Consider these words as it takes us back to the cross. And then finally, he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, in my blood, in my death, in my sacrifice. So as Jesus hung on the cross, it was as if he is ratifying the contract then, ratifying the new covenant between us and God. So the words all point us to the cross, that a price was set and a price had to be paid, and the price was death. See, we're all born under the law, and the law of God says, if you don't keep this law perfectly, mind, action, If you don't keep it perfectly, then the sanctions of the law come upon you. And that sanction is you must die. You must pay the penalty. And so Jesus takes the sanction of God's law in our place. He does, uh, this event involves his blood, his life, his death. This, This body was prepared that it might be crushed. Over in Matthew 27, 28, when Jesus is enacting the Lord's table with his men, he said to them, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. Not only do the words of the passage point us back to the cross, but the silent preaching this morning will point us back to the cross. In a few moments, you're going to preach. All of you are going to take up a pulpit who participate in the ordinance. Every person in this room who takes bread and puts it in their mouth with faith, with meaning, and every person that drinks the cup in faith will become a preacher in that moment. The Bible tells us this here in verse 26. As often as you eat this bread and as often as you drink this cup, you proclaim, you preach the Lord's death. That is so significantly important to us. Just as the waters of baptism are a public testimony, so the bread and the juice is a public testimony. When we eat and we drink, we are proclaiming that we believe in the Lord and that we believe in the Lord's death and that we believe that He died to cover and pay for my sins and we believe that He rose again. These simple actions are silent testimony to these realities. 
Not only do we consider the words and look back to the cross and consider the silent preaching that will happen and look back to the cross, but we can also consider the very aim of the Lord's table, and it takes us back to the cross. The aim is very straightforward. Do this in remembrance of me. Again, verse 25, do this in remembrance of me. The goal here is to recall something. The goal is to remember something. The goal is to not forget something. And what he doesn't want us to forget, again, is the cross and all of his life and all of his uh, grace and mercy toward us. Fifth lesson, okay? So, number one, it's instituted by Christ. Number two, rooted in history. Number three, requires symbolic eating and drinking. Number four, looks back to the cross. Number five, looks forward to the return of Christ. (laughs) It looks forward to the day when we will have to We will not do this here, but we will do it anew with him. Look at verse 26. As often as you eat this bread and as often as you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Till he returns is what's in mind. In Matthew 26, 29, Jesus said, after doing the first Lord's table with his men, he says, I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of this of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And so we are looking forward as we participate in the Lord's table this morning. Now comes the application. Because Christ, the God-man, the head of the church, instituted this, and not man, not a denomination, not a tradition, not a pope, Because this is rooted in actual human history and not some ethereal, hard-to-grasp mystery, because we are going to symbolically eat an element that represents his very body and drink a cup that represents his very blood, because we are looking back to the time when Jesus paid it all on our behalf And because we are looking forward to the time when he will come and make every wrong right and reclaim what is rightfully his, planet earth, and set up his kingdom and rule and reign and defend his people and rule and reign from Jerusalem on this planet because we are truly believing that and anticipating that because all of these things are true. Therefore, lesson number six, this table deserves deep and utmost respect. And this respect is shown by proper self-examination. That's 27 to 32. That's the, at least half of this entire passage, which is the longest passage on the Lord's table in the epistles. Because all of these things are true then, beloved, this deserves our deepest respect shown by a proper self-examination. Even a self-judgment, we could say. So look with me at verse 27 as we follow along. Therefore, see it? Therefore, because it's a testimony of what God has done for us. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. In an unworthy manner. That person, whoever they are, God does not play favorites. God does not... Respect man in that sense. He is no respecter of human position. Whoever does this shall be guilty of the body 
and the blood of the Lord. We're dealing with holy symbols. I mean, if, if any of us were to take an American flag in here today and go out into the parking lot and stomp it into the ground and set it on fire, we would all be appalled, wouldn't we? We would be aghast. We would put a stop to it. Because that flag is not just a piece of cloth. It is a symbol that represents something valuable and precious to us. And it makes us angry if people trample upon it. And rightfully so. Well, beloved, we have a, we have a symbol this morning that is infinitely more precious and more important than any flag. Or any temporary nation of men. And so that is what Paul is talking about here. He's saying to take this in an unworthy manner is to trample upon it. And to do so is to become guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Okay, then what's the solution? Because we could all overreact, right? We could say, wow, this is terrifying. I better not do it at all. I don't want to do it unworthily, so I shouldn't do it at all. So what's the solution? Verse 28, there is a solution. Don't overreact. Don't panic. But a man must examine himself. Not his neighbor, not his spouse, himself, herself. Look, look at yourself. Hold yourself up and, and see if you are approved. Can you do this in a worthy manner? Examine, test. And in so doing, he is to eat the bread and drink the cup. Okay, so don't put yourself in a shackle this morning in a straitjacket and say, I can't do this because it might be unworthy. No, examine yourself and then eat and drink. Verse 29, for he who eats and drinks... If he doesn't do this examination, that's, the, that's what's implied. He eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. If he does not judge the body of Christ rightly. If he does not put the right value on the person of Jesus, then he's eating and drinking judgment to himself. Verse 30 then explains why so many of the Corinthians had become weak and sick and even died. For this reason, because they were so abusing the Lord's table in gross and, and egregious ways. I mean, they had this love feast before the Lord's table. And the people were coming to get drunk at the love feast before they participated in the Lord's Supper. Can you imagine sitting here drunk and then taking the Lord's Supper? Trampling upon its holiness? The rich in the church at Corinth were coming to their potluck dinner with all of their food and not sharing it with the poor. They didn't even wait for the poor to get there. They just gobbled it all up. They were just coming to gorge and get a buzz. And so he is having to correct that. They weren't examining themselves. They were walking in selfishness and pride. And because of this, God began to move among the church at Corinth, causing people to become weak, sick, and even taking their lives in divine church discipline. That's what verse 30 is describing. Paul doesn't want that for them to continue. So he says in verse 31, but if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. So proper self-examination is really self-judgment. Judge yourself and then God won't have to. You do his work for you, for him. Verse 32, but when we are judged, if it comes to that, even if it comes to weakness, sickness, and even death, a number sleep, that's a euphemism for death. If it comes to that, when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord. Praise God. Praise God for His discipline because He disciplines every son He receives. And if we're not disciplined by the Lord, then we're not His children. 
So Paul is reminding them of that. We are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. You see, you're either in the category of the self-judged or you're in the category of the condemned. And here's a reminder that all of those who are without Christ, all of those who are outside of Christ, all of those who are not following Christ are condemned already. They're under a state of condemnation from God that, that they can only escape from if they come to Christ. So the weight of this passage then teaches us how to do proper self-examination so that we come to the table in a worthy manner, not an unworthy manner. I want to close with some ways that you can come to the table this morning in an unworthy manner. We're going to learn from the negative before we partake of the elements. The first way that any person can come to the Lord's table in an unworthy manner is to eat the bread and drink the cup without first repenting of your sins and believing in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Believing that His sacrifice was a once-for-all time sacrifice that saves, that covers your sin. Not believing that this ordinance saves you. Not believing that any work saves you, that religion saves you, that coming to church saves you, or even partaking in the elements today saves you, because that is not how we're saved. We're saved by repenting of our sins and believing in Christ, trusting in Christ. So the first way we can be participating in an unworthy manner is to be participating as an unbeliever or an unregenerate person who hasn't been born again by the Lord's grace. How do I know if I've been born again? I've turned from sin and I'm trusting Christ. Only Christ, always Christ. The second way we could participate now, this now from here on out applies to believers. How could you and I as believers come in an unworthy manner this morning? By not remembering Jesus. If we did this just going through the motions without emotion, not that you've got to you know, be crying your eyes out to properly come, but if we just do this through the motions, then we're not remembering Jesus. If we're coming to this table as a ritual, as, a, as a, just a religious thing that we do out of habit, then that's not remembering Jesus. An unworthy manner is a manner without worship, without feeling, without engagement, without remembering. The whole point is to do this in remembrance of Christ. And so obviously then if we're not, then we're coming in an unworthy manner. Here's another way you can come in an unworthy manner. If you eat this morning and drink this cup with anger or bitterness or unforgiveness in your heart toward another member of this church. If you're disunified with a brother or sister, maybe they're in the pew there with you now. Maybe they're in the congregation. Maybe they're not able to be with us today. But they're a member of this church and you're a member of this church and we're one body and and we're to preserve our unity. And if I've got unforgiveness, bitterness, hate, malice, slander, if I've got ill will feelings toward another believer and participate in the Lord's table, I'm making a mockery of the Lord's table. This table is about our unity. It is about our coming together as a family. Another way we can come in an unworthy manner is by obviously not examining ourselves first. He says, a man, verse 28, a man must examine himself. Well, if we fail to do that, if we neglect that, blow it off, uh, 
you know, I'm, I, I'm good. I haven't spent any time either this morning or yesterday or just any time of preparation, then that would be unworthy. The reality is the Lord's table is a time for us to scrutinize ourselves, to scrutinize our motives. Why are we here? Why am I participating in the Lord's table? It's a time for you and I to test our attitude toward the Lord, toward the church, toward the things of God. It's a time for you and I to examine ourselves. Do I love God? Do I love my neighbor? Do I love other Christians? We've got to walk a fine line here. We don't want to spend our time just, you know, navel-gazing and, and beating ourselves to a pulp and trying to, trying to earn God's love by feeling so sorry for our wretched, miserable souls. And yet, at the same time, we need to do some soul-searching as a saved person, as a believer. We need to do some soul-searching at this time. We need to ask ourselves questions like, am I right with God? Do I have unconfessed sin in my life? Am I living in unconfessed sin? Is there something I'm not willing to give up to the one who instituted this ordinance? The Lord's table is a blessed time for the church to purify itself, for the believer to cleanse ourselves from all defilement. And that comes from soul searching. By the aid of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, we examine ourselves so that we can eat and drink. Here's one more way we can come in an unworthy manner. Again, as a believer in Christ, to come to this table in an ongoing way in your life with no interest or participation in a local church. We practice an open table here at our church, and we want you who are non-members but are believers in Christ to participate with us, but we would not want you to never join a church. That is a... defying uh, the very purpose of this ordinance, was, which was to gather the body of Christ in one body and to have an expression of it. So this is not a private, personalized thing that we just do at home by ourselves. This is something we do as the church. Okay? This is an ordinance for the church. And so I think in a, an unworthy manner would be to do this with no interest in the local church or no connection to a local church or desire to have that, or pursuit of that, or looking for that, and to have that mindset as a believer. We flip these and make it all positive. We can eat in a worthy manner this morning by first repenting and believing in Christ and His once-for-all-time sacrifice for our sins. We can be worthy this morning by remembering Jesus all the way through, by having forgiveness and love in our hearts toward all people, by examining ourselves first and doing some soul searching and confessing what comes to mind. And if nothing comes to mind, then just giving thanks, praising the Lord. And by having a deep and abiding and ongoing interest in the local body of Christ. And if it's not this body, then beloved, go find that body that you can join with a clear conscience and serve and participate in. This is how we come then in a worthy manner of the Lord. I want to invite the men who are going to serve us to come down front now, and uh, Carol Jane to uh, the keyboard. We're going to sing a couple of songs, uh, as we frequently do while we pass elements.
just to help us all to enter into a time of worship over these elements. So let me pray for us, and then we will pass the elements one by one. We do ask that you wait uh, till everyone has been served, and then we eat together. Father, we just say thank you. Thank you for the gift of Christ for unworthy sinners like us. Undeserving of even one blessing from heaven. And you found us in our sin and called us to yourself. And here we are today, maybe a week later, maybe years and years later, here we are today to continue to worship you and obey you. We thank you for the event in history that we are anchored to this moment. The event of it is finished. Of you taking God's wrath in our place. And we thank you for this simple gift of the Lord's table. What a blessing it is to us. So move among us by your spirit and allow us to partake in a worthy manner and give you glory and give you honor. In Jesus' name.